Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Jenny Blumenthal is a professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of Corporate Rehab, a professional coaching consultancy that has helped hundreds of executives ditch workplace hustle culture and find their path toward a greater sense of purpose. She is the best-selling author of the new book, Corporate Rehab, Ditch the Hustle Culture and Thrive Again. Jenny is also a founding member of the DC chapter of Chief, a private network built to drive more women into positions of power, strengthen their leadership journey, cross-pollinate ideas across industries, and affect change from the top down. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Jenny. Thanks so much, Emily. I'm happy to be here. Well, Jenny, I, when I saw what you what you're working on and what you wrote about, it just made me so curious because coming from the entrepreneurship world, I'm all about the hustle. <laughs> so I I like the hustle, but I know you're not talking about like the hustle that we like. So I think the right. first thing right. I need to I, I want you to do is to explain exactly what like what is hustle culture, um, and why you know why is it harmful to some people and why we need an alternative. Sure. So the hustle culture is really defined as, you know, productivity. Uh, everything has to be productive. You're always on. It's 24-7. There's no breaks, um, which is very different from hustle that we all need if we're trying to get a meeting done while we have a sick kid at home or <laughs> we need to uh, get that last deal closed or get your website up and, and rush out the door. Um, everyone needs that. But hustle culture is when we get stuck in that gear where we're always on and there's never any downtime um, and everything has to be productive. And the reason I think it's really harmful is that on a couple of different levels, first of all, in our minds, um, we could be stuck on that for the wrong reasons. If we know exactly why we're hustling and we feel super proud of our work and we know exactly what we're doing to put food on the table and, and we find a lot of purpose in that, great. If we're hustling because we're running on these old beliefs that I'm only as good as my last deal and I if I have enough money, that'll help me not have to feel vulnerable and feel these messy emotions that could not be so good. So first of all, just understanding what's going on in our minds as to why we're hustling. And then the second piece is really in our bodies. Like if we're in this constant hustle culture where everything's on and we're just running constantly, we're bathing our systems in cortisol and stress hormone. And then over time, that really takes its toll, um, whether that's heart disease, which is the number one killer of women, um, mm -hmm. whether that becomes cancer or something else. It's, it's interesting how much our bodies are recognizing the stress that we put ourselves under. Um, and actually, that was one of the questions I started asking interviewees for my book when I interviewed 300 women for um, the book I just wrote and said, you know, did you notice any physical impacts of the stress? And they said, no, everything was fine, but my hair did start falling out or I did start throwing up. And I was thinking, okay, well, there was a physical 
element to it. So that's really what we're talking about. When we were talking about hustle culture. Mm-hmm. Everyone, I believe, needs some hustle, some grit, some ambition. It's just being mindful of how you're applying it so that you're really doing it in a way that feels healthy for you and that you know why you're hustling. Um, that really is a healthier way to approach the hustle culture. And I guess there's a difference between hustling for yourself and your own goals and hustling for someone else, right? Yes, exactly. And that's, I think that's a big piece of it is if you're perfect, if you feel a lot of purpose in hustling for a boss, because you are leading a group of people and that's letting other people take care of their families and you feel a lot of dignity in the work you're doing, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But if you personally say, no, I actually want something that feels, you know, more uh, intentional for me, and that's actually being my own boss, and here's why, then mm-hmm. it would be false for you to say, to still work for that other person when your real calling is, you know, is to do something on your own. So, and, and there's a lot of reasons why we do it. Um, and there's a lot of times in our lives where we don't have a choice, where yeah. we're putting kids through college, we're struggling to make rent, and we don't have the privilege of going out on our own, or even though that can be harder sometimes. Um, but it really is just more about making those intentional choices and trade-offs mm-hmm. so you know why you're hustling. And then you can do it as much or as little as you want to, but you don't feel compelled to. Yes. And I think something that you, you've also maybe touched on in a certain way, is that a lot of this is very specific to women, a lot of the effects of this, because when I, when I, you know, I, it's not something I have to admit, like, I really haven't really thought too much about the concept of hustle culture until I started looking into your book and, and your work. But when I heard the term hustle culture, I just initially thought of like the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss, like that kind of thing. And, you know, they're about getting up at four in the clock in the morning, do your workout, you know, self-care is part of it. But let's be real, like when when it comes to being a mom or a woman with lots of responsibilities, it's just not possible to fit every single thing into your day, right? Right. That's right. And I think that there's a big piece of that, that caregiving is such a big issue that Mm -hmm. is traditionally something that mothers or women perform um, and without a national level caregiving policy from any party at this Mm -hmm. point we're one of the only nations that doesn't have it built into our society as a societal good. I mean, there's essentially free labor that moms are providing and caregiving that then also impacts, you know, the, the level of employment impacts the amount of financial independence that they have. And so when you think about that piece, I think that also is something that, that winds up being a little bit more impactful to women in that situation, because the reality is they are hustling. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're having to hustle because you're already doing, you know, your full job, whatever that is, if you are working outside the home, and then if you're working at home as well as a caregiver, one of the more recent studies said that in houses where both people are working, if you're a man and a woman married, that the woman takes on 20 more hours of caregiving every single week. And that's enough for a part-time job. So the reality is you're already you know, doing more just based on what either you want to take on or what society mm-hmm. is expecting to to take on or traditional roles. So I do think it impacts women a little bit differently. And you've also mentioned in your work that millions of women have quit their jobs since the pandemic started 2020 or so. And is this why it's been mostly women? Yes, I think so. Yeah, the numbers are staggering. It's in 2021, it was 48 million people total. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which is, you know, a, a ridiculous number when you think about it. It's twice the population of the state of New York. Um, mm. But it, it is a predominant uh, number of women. And a lot of that is from caregiving. But I think there's also that that's a structural reason um, when your your kids are home and you're trying to do a Zoom with kids on your lap. You know, obviously there was, you know, a lot of people with two earner income said, you know, something's got to give and, and the woman stayed home. But there's also a bit more of a emotional reason where I saw in my interviews, more and more women said, I've been in this toxic workplace for forever. And after I was forced home and I'm doing my work on Zoom, I'm hearing story after story of other people, you know, leaving their toxic hustle and or leaving their toxic boss and mm -hmm. getting another job. And so I think there's a lot of people that also got a chance to say, to see other opportunities out there. Mm -hmm. um, and we're really facing a lot of disrespect. One of the, the biggest points of research in the great resignation was, the number one reason people left their jobs during 2021 was a lack of respect. Um, it wasn't money. Um, it wasn't necessarily just caregiving. It was being in, in cultures that fostered disrespect. And so obviously that that's different for everybody, whether that's inclusion or, or what have you. But I thought that was a pretty staggering finding. That's very interesting. So it, it wasn't necessarily the actual hours worked or it, or anything like that, or the pay it was the idea that they weren't feeling respected in the workplace, whether that workplace mm -hmm. be, maybe being forced to go into the office and put themselves at health risk, right. staying home and not being respected for the being also being a parent and having certain other responsibilities. So that that's where that came from. Hmm. Yep, definitely. Now you, so you just mentioned the great resignation and I actually had, I did have uh, someone on my podcast talking about the great resignation recently. And now we're also here. So that's a buzzword that kind of is kind of in the news right now. And there's another buzzword, quiet quitting, mm -hmm. right? Can yep. And that, uh, that we really have not discussed um, on this podcast. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that means now. I hope none of my employees quiet quit on me because I need to do this, but can you tell us what it means and why people are doing it? Yeah. So quiet quitting is really that notion of not giving above and beyond your job duties and doing essentially the bare minimum or what's expected, right? And okay. you hear very different you know, elements of whether that's good or not. And it really depends on the individual and it depends on the culture and, and mm -hmm. the, the, you know, surrounding bosses. But you have, in one case, you have people saying that um, I'm, I'm going to just, you know, show up and do my job and what I'm paid to do because they're getting what's been called by McKinsey, all of this invisible work at work. Um, so invisible housework, whether that's the women that are expected to set up all the meetings or expected to plan the birthday parties, mm -hmm. whether that's in some companies, the diversity, equity, and inclusion work gets done by people of color of, oh, you're our, our one black female, you should champion this whole initiative that we're doing. And it winds up being, you know, another 60 hours of someone's time over a quarter that they're not compensated for. And so What's happening is you see a lot of these people saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to do the job that I'm paid to do. And mm -hmm. if I do above and beyond that, then I will, you know, ask for more compensation. Mm -hmm. I think the backlash to that is, 
well, if you're not going to push yourself and hustle and get out there, then don't expect a raise or a bonus or what have you. And I think there's probably some balance in the middle that says, let's look at where we're expecting employees to go above and beyond and not compensating them. And also, are there areas where people are phoning it in? And is there something in our culture that's that's encouraging either of those scenarios? And let's actually get, I think it could be a good chance to just look within a little bit and say, why would someone feel like they need to do that? And is there something that we're, you know, pushing either as leaders or there's is there something in the employee yeah. base we need to address? And so that's really what it's all about. So interesting. So when I first heard the term quiet quitting, um, I didn't really know much about it. So I, to me, it sounded like, like maybe I heard this online or something, but to me, it sounded like people were maybe just not showing up for work anymore. They they wanted to leave their job. This I think this is how it's defined in the news. So you can correct me, but they, they wanted to leave their job because they didn't like it anymore or they just weren't that happy, but they didn't hate it enough to quit. So they just kind of decided to just kind of do whatever, do, do a little bit of their work, do whatever they had to do until finally someone noticed that it wasn't up to par, wasn't good, they weren't getting right. enough and then And then they were fired or they just, you know, they just stopped showing up. So is that quiet quitting or is it more like what you were saying where, because what you're talking about is I think sounded like a feminist issue, you know, which, which I would totally get behind, of course, like why should women be stuck doing the planning the parties while the men are, you know, maybe doing more leadership roles. Right. That's right. Yeah. I think it can show up. I think it can show up differently depending on the culture that you're in. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's kind of, when you think about it, Actually, in some cultures with huge companies, some of the, you know, more senior, whether it's a partner or somebody who's been there a long time in the in the golden days or the the last couple of years of their career, they're probably not, you know, really contributing as much as some of the very young people that have just started. And yet they're wildly overcompensated in relative Mm -hmm. terms. So even in that case, you have to think, well, did they actually quietly quit and say, well, no one's going to fire me. I'm almost two (laughs) years to retirement. So I think it really depends on, you know, what culture that you're in and how that gets defined, um, you know, within whatever is going on in your workplace. But Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's, it's, less a moment for us to come out and say it's bad or it's good and it's more of an opportunity for both employees and employers to say if this is something that somebody feels they need to do well why is there not enough purpose in what they're doing are they being asked to do things above and beyond their pay description with no understanding of whether that's going to get them ahead or not Um, or are we really Instead, showing employees, hey, here's the bare minimum, but if you do these other things, here's what could be possible. And and are we instilling a culture and a sense of pride and inspiration in the work that incentivizes them to want to do more? I mean, some of the best teams that I've led or been part of have always been part where leaders make it feel like it's not work. You want to give more and you're not nickel and dimming on either side. You know, there's no and there's no, you know, and you have that where you have trust. I think any place where quiet quitting is happening in a big way, you know, the first place I would look at is trust. You know, if there's Mm -hmm. something that says, you know, the the employers that are saying, and and this is obviously some, all industries are different with that, but the employers that are saying, I don't believe my employees are doing anything at home. We have to come back to the office. It's the only place you can be productive. The first question I would say is, well, why aren't you, you know, why don't you trust your employees? Like what yeah. happened? You looked at the numbers of what the productivity has been at home. And is there real data to support that? Or is this just the way it's always been? And you feel more comfortable being mm. able to keep 
you know, an eye on them. So I think it, it really just gives, it's an invitation really for all of us to look at the types of cultures that we're, we're leading, whether you're an entrepreneur or a solopreneur or whether you're leading a mm-hmm. Fortune 500 company. Yeah. Um, now, how can we foster a better format or form communication between leaders and workers at, at different companies so that they feel like nobody's getting the short end of the stick and they're all working together toward a common mission? Yeah, I think the first, it's a it's a complicated question. I think everyone's looking at that right now. Mm-hmm. I think the first piece we just mentioned is trust. And I think I would um, also add to that psychological safety because a number of the stories that I collected um, were really, you know, in a place where you it was obvious that there was not psychological safety. And I know Amy Edmondson and others talk about this all the time, but it's really the sense of you can't really speak up. Or if you speak up, there could be this detriment to what you say. So I think that's number one, because where people don't feel safe mm-hmm. to contribute and to say how they really feel, you're always going to run the risk of um, a misinterpretation of what's being expected. Um, the second piece is help, just asking for help if they're in modeling vulnerability um, where needed to be able to say, I'm really burned out, it's Q4 and you know, and I, I'm really struggling to get to the end of the year and I need some help on this or we all know everybody's working extra hard, let's all push until we can get a winter break or what have you, um, I think is another piece of it. And then the final piece is really values in terms of not only your own um, personal values and not just the companies, but that connection between them. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think that's really where I see a lot of companies right now saying, well, here's our mission and our purpose and people should just get on board with it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, to some extent is great for, in terms of overall alignment, but if people don't see personal connection to that in their daily business, it becomes really hard to make that daily grind of the hustle culture worth it if you feel like what you're doing actually isn't moving the needle. Um, And that's really where you're at the biggest risk for burnout. So those are the three things I would say to start with to make sure you're aligned with the company. And is that harder to do with remote workers? It is, it is. And I think that's where it's interesting to see how that's going to play out. Um, I mean, I think what we're finding is that work is not a place. um, And so therefore, how you actually manage that culture in a remote environment, what combination of in-person days and remote days and what do you actually do on those days that you're in person, I think is really the, the telltale or what's driving um, some of the cultures that are really having that, fostering that sense of collaboration. Whether it's you're coming in two days a week and on those two days, it's all in-person meetings and collaboration or you're giving you know, dark days where there's no meetings and you can just be left to do your own productivity. I think where you get, where people get creative with that and where they're listening to their employees, you're really going to see a lot of innovation from those companies. But I definitely think it's, it's a lot harder to do in a remote um, scenario, but I think that's here to stay. So it's upon us to try to figure out how to make that work. And that's part of the work that you're contributing to. And Jenny, I want to hear a little bit about your story. How did you get involved with this? Yes, so um, I left corporate America, um, at least this chapter of it, after 20 years in it, um, and I left in 2020, so the first droplet of the great resignation. What were you Um, doing? 
I was a partner in a consulting firm. And so I was leading a $300 million business unit, 250 people um, doing some, some great work I was really proud of and some work that was mind numbing. And then that's kind of, you know, part of the gig. Um, and I probably had um, been, you know, chasing the success up a ladder, thinking that just around the corner was my chance to get a little bit more control or just around the corner was, you know, the week that was going to be easier. Um, and each week felt harder and busier. And I was on three planes a week by the time the pandemic hit. And so for me, it was a real chance to kind of go quiet and internal and say, is this still what lights me up? And is this still what I want to be doing? Um, and moreover is the version of me that I feel like I have to be to make all of these things happen the person I want to be. Um, and unfortunately the answer for me was no, <laughs> that was where I was like, okay, I got to figure out, you know, how can I be the leader? I want to be the mom. I want to be the wife. I want to be the friend. I want to be, um, with, you know, working 60 plus hours a week and, you know, doing the type of work I was doing. I think it got me to a great place in terms of, you know, success, but I really wasn't fulfilled. And so that's really what, got me to a point where I decided to leave and we were still in the middle of a pandemic and my kids were doing school at the kitchen table. And so, um, you know, instead of vaulting into the next thing, which I might've done, it really gave me a chance to get quiet with myself and say, I better figure out what, what exactly kept me is stuck in that position longer than might've been good for me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I started to do the research and really found out it was more about the hustle culture than anything else where it's not necessarily just me that I had mindsets and behaviors that needed to be shifted, which the, that's part of the answer. And it wasn't just the work or just the boss or just the culture. It was a little bit of both. And it was this hustling that I constantly felt like I had to be on improving myself yeah. um, that really you know, led me on this path to, to explore a little bit more. And then the more I heard from other women that felt the same way, the more I felt like I needed to actually put together some programs to help people do some of their own rehab from the hustle culture themselves. Okay. Well, speaking of that, congrats on your new book. Thank you. Can you tell us about it? How did you just, you said you interviewed 300 women or so. How did you yeah. decide who to interview? So I, um, I actually didn't even intend to do that at first. I just thought I had so many people reaching out and saying, I'm feeling burned out or I'm feeling like this too. What did you do? And I started sending them articles and, and podcasts and books and the list got so long um, that I finally said, this is overwhelming to just consume all of this. I'll just put it into some sort of framework that they can take away. And yeah. I had people responding and saying, I've got a story for you. Listen to what happened to me. And as more and more people started reaching out, all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, I've got to put this into a book because I was doing like five interviews a day from women who were saying, listen to what, you know, the burnout I went through. And so that's really what sparked the idea for a book. Um, and then I decided I was taking on all of these, um, I do private coaching. So I was taking on all these, uh, these women that I was coaching through this process and thought, I can, you know, I'm going to try to scale this up, but the best way to do this is just to make it available to all and put it into a book. So I have in the book, the 300 stories, my own story, and then the rehab framework, which is a five-step framework to go through your process of ditching the hustle culture, which is R is, uh, stands for recognize the context of your values. E is evaluate all of the patterns and relationships and energy that you're expending. H is heal across mind, body, and spirit. A is arise and get to play and do some fun things with that you mm -hmm. might not have been doing as much when you were climbing a ladder. 
and mm -hmm. B is build a new dimensions of your work and your life um, that light you up and make you feel intentional. So it's really that process, whether you stay in the corporate environment or medicine or law or all these other women I interviewed, or whether you go out on your own as an entrepreneur, I think it just helps you clarify why you're doing what you're doing and point mm -hmm. that ambition really intentionally towards the things you want to grow. So it's not about quitting your job and or finding a different job. It's more about taking a moment and looking inward. That's right. right? Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I have, um, it's interesting, a lot of the workshops that I'm giving now are about like how to relight the spark within your job. And it's a lot mm -hmm. of the same approaches, but it's just reconnecting to the things that really give you energy so that you can actually be intentional about how you're doing. You can set boundaries around the things that you, you know, aren't that great for you. And you can actually be vocal about the things that are. Um, and so it's, a, it's just a, a manual for doing just that. So is this quiet quitting? I don't believe so, um, okay. because really what it is, is talking about pointing that ambition towards the things that um, that you're working really hard for. I mean, I feel mm -hmm. like when I founded, so I founded my own leadership company as part of this, I feel like I'm working almost just as hard in some yeah. ways um, in this new phase of my life, but it's pointed towards the things that light me up and it feels mm -hmm. very purposeful in a way that I had started to get disconnected from in my old job. So I think it's probably the opposite of quiet quitting because it's talking about where you get your energy from. And unless your energy is monotone, <laughs> you're, you should be pointing that towards the things that are most impactful for you. So how do you know? So if you're in a job and you're feeling unhappy um, to some extent, how do you know you really it's really that bad that you need to start? working on this? Or is it just, yeah. maybe you feel like, you know, this is just what it is. Everyone feels like this. How do you know it's really time to take a look? So I would, I would say you can do the corporate rehab framework, regardless of whether you're thinking of moving in your job, staying in your job. I would, I would actually argue that if you do this, you're likely to stay in a role. Maybe it's a different role, but you're maybe you're likely hmm. to stay in the game longer because you're letting go of mindsets that might hold you back. You're recognizing areas where your boundaries have been trampled on, you're actually using your voice in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, the moment that that really tells you whether it's time to leave or not, a lot of people say this different ways. I like the, the quote that I've heard that that feeling in the pit of your stomach on a Sunday night about whether mm -hmm. you're dreading the next day or whether you're excited to get up um, and go, I think is something that really tells you that answer um, and really tuning into you know, the signals that your body is giving you all the time as to whether, mm -hmm. does this feel like excitement and adrenaline or do you feel like you're stuck in this high gear and it's actually anxiety that's driving the bus or fear? Um, and just learning to tune into that a little bit so that you can be intentional about why you're doing what you're doing. Is there, you talked a little bit at the beginning of the conversation about health and how this actually has major physical tolls on our bodies. And sometimes we don't even realize it. Is, are there things we should be looking for as women in our bodies? So, I mean, yes, I think the, if you think about the connection between mind, body, and soul, um, and depending on where you are on that spectrum and what you believe, obviously this is different for everybody, but it's, it's not lost on me that the, if the number one killer of women is heart disease, and we spend so much of our time nurturing and caring for others that that's really where a lot of this pain gets lodged. Um, and I think it's kind of an interesting moment that whether that means physically you're just under so much stress and you're caring for so many people because you've got your regular job and then you're 20 hours a week and your heart gives out, 
or whether there's just unresolved pain, trauma, all kinds of things that you might've gone through that are, you know, are staying stuck in your body as trapped stress or cortisol or impacts mm -hmm. on your heart. So I think that's something to just be aware of. Mm -hmm. Every single one of the women I, I talked to, as I mentioned, had a story about some sort of physical ailment that they didn't quite connect to their job um, mm -hmm. until they left or until it really screamed loudly. Um, one woman was rushed to the emergency room thought she was having a heart attack. There was nothing wrong with her and her, di her doctor diagnosed her as just having too much workplace stress. Um, another was woman- it? If it wasn't a heart attack, was it just a panic attack? Yeah, it was a panic attack and her, hmm. her body was mimicking all of the symptoms of a heart attack to tell her you need to slow down. Yeah. Uh, so I think it, it, I would just watch for the signs that your body's sending you and, and pause with those before you decide to dismiss them as something else. Well, I think some people might be tuning into this episode because they do want to walk away from their jobs. So what message do you have for women who aren't sure if they want to or think they may, but they just haven't yet? Yeah, I would start with why do you think you want to leave and why mm -hmm. haven't yet are the two biggest questions. So the first about getting clear on that why, is it that you think the grass is greener? Is it that you're dealing with a, a actual toxic scenario? Is it that you're just tired and burned out, which is totally normal as we're hearing across 57% of all women are feeling that way. So just getting really clear on why, and then you can be asking yourself, why haven't you left or whether it would be different in another role. So depending on the answers to that, if you're dealing with workplace abuse, obviously that's something you want to get out of. If you're dealing with burnout, look at the sources. You know, is it burned out? Are you getting burned out from your roles outside of work? Or are you getting burned out from work or both? And really looking at the, those shifts and whether that can be made. Um, on the why not side, then it gets into a whole bunch of like, what would I be without this job? Mm -hmm. I need to, I'm the breadwinner or I need to contribute financially. I don't want my kids to be in a situation where we don't have the money I wanted to provide for this lifestyle. And just getting really honest with yourself about whether that trade-off is still the right trade-off. Often we get into a role and we're on, we're climbing our ladders or in our careers and years go by while we're busy raising families and growing careers. And we don't reevaluate and say, is this still the same pro-con, you know, trade-off that I entered. And, and from right now, forget all the sunk cost, as it were, of the career. Mm -hmm. Moving forward, am I comfortable spending the next 10 years or five years or whatever it is in my life doing this? Um, and I think those types of things really, if you're honest with some of those answers, that can be really scary, but those are the types of things that give you the illumination to say, yeah, I am just burned out. I need a break. Or you know what? This I've been I've been saying I've been burned out. I've been saying next week will be better for five years now. Maybe it's time to make a change. Yeah. So how's your book doing? It hit an, an Amazon bestseller the first week it was out, which is nice. so exciting. So thanks for asking. But um, I'm thrilled. I'm just I'm so excited to um, make sure that this message gets into the hands of as many people as possible, because as your point, it's not about quitting. It's about ditching the hustle culture, whether you're a CEO, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a stay at home mom, it really doesn't matter on some level. It's really all about, you know, whether you're actually in charge of the actions that you're taking in your life and whether you're the author of your own story or you're letting someone else hold the pen. Such a good way to put it. And I mean, what is really the point if we're not here health-wise? Yeah to enjoy our lives, what is the point? What are we even doing? 
Right. Exactly. Where can our listeners find more information about corporate rehab? Because you actually offer this as a individualized coaching service if people are interested in that. Where can we find more? I do. Yeah. The best place is the website. So it's www.corporate-rehab.com. And I have private coaching there in individuals and groups. I do workshops and then I'm doing a whole fun speaking circuit where I'm doing keynotes and stuff. So you can find out all the information there. And then if you just want to follow along for tips, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and to my 14 year old's dismay, also TikTok. (laughs) I have a 12 year old, so I get it. (laughs) Well, Jenny Blumenthal, CEO and founder of professional coaching consultancy, corporate rehab and author of corporate rehab ditch the hustle culture and thrive again. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast and for sharing all your wisdom and all these interesting stories about the women you've interviewed. Thanks so much, Emily. I really appreciate being here. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.